Welcome to the podcast. Today we will be discussing diminished capacity. Let's get legal. All right, today we will be finishing up the subsection of the criminal process cases entitled criminal responsibility. Our episode today will be on diminished capacity. Our first case today will be Ibn Tamas v. U.S. Beverly Ibn Tamas was charged with murder after fatally shooting her husband. Mrs. Ibn Tamas was subjected to repeated beatings at the hand of her husband, including on the day of the shooting. According to reports, Mrs. Ibn Tamas was pregnant at the time and after an argument was struck by her husband and ordered to get out of their home. There were also reports that Mr. Ibn Tamas held a gun to her head and stated, quote, you're going to leave this house one way or another, unquote. After an apparent struggle, Mrs. Ibn Tamas reportedly obtained one of the many guns in the home and shot Mr. Ibn Tamas in the abdomen and head and later testified that she did so thinking that he was armed and ready to kill her. This was not the case and he was unarmed. Mrs. Ibn Tamas was charged with second-degree murder and brought to trial. At trial, the defense team wanted to call on Dr. Lenore Walker, a clinical psychologist and expert on battered women's syndrome, for testimony. She opined that Mrs. Ibn Tamas constituted a, quote, classic case of the syndrome, which influenced her actions and was acting on what she considered to be self-defense. The court did not allow this testimony as it feared it would have an undue influence on the jury. Mrs. Ivan Tomas was eventually convicted of second-degree murder. The D.C. Court of Appeals reversed the decision, ruling that the testimony should have been allowed. They stated that Dr. Walker would have provided important context and background information and that the information she was an expert on was, quote, beyond the ken, unquote, of the jury. They ruled that the benefit of the information the expert would have provided would have outweighed any potential prejudice and remanded for further consideration. Ivan Tomas was sentenced to a term of one to five years in prison with credit for time she served and was released. President Joe Biden pardoned Miss Ivan Tomas in December of 2022. The Ibn Tamas decision has significantly impacted the legal landscape surrounding battered women syndrome, facilitating fairer trials for defendants in domestic violence situations and contributing to increased awareness and understanding of this complex psychological phenomenon within the legal system. While the ruling has forced some, faced some criticism regarding the potential for unreliable expert testimony and misuse of battered women's syndrome as a defense tactic, it has opened doors for defendants to present expert evidence supporting their claims of self-defense. Here's a summary of the key points of the ruling. The court ruled that testimony on a known disorder such as battered women's syndrome should be admissible regardless of its potential for prejudicial impact on the jury. Now how to remember the ruling. Beverly Eben Tomas's husband uh, was originally named Robert Lee Gamble. He became a Muslim in 1971 and changed his name to Abdur Ramad Youssef Ibn Tomas. Muslims face a lot of prejudice in the United States, 
And I remember that Ibn Tomas v. U.S. ruled that testimony on a known disorder should be allowed regardless of its prejudicial potential. Again, I remember that Muslims face a lot of prejudice in the United States and that Ibn Tomas v. U.S. ruled that a the testimony on a known disorder should be allowed regardless of its prejudicial potential. Our second and last case today is Montana v. Egelhoff. In July of 1992, James Egelhoff was camping in the woods and searching for mushrooms. He befriended fellow mushroom enthusiast Roberta Pavola and John Christensen while camping. They sold most of their mushrooms and celebrated together by binge drinking beer and black velvet. Around midnight, a sheriff's deputy found Mr. Egelhoff's car in a ditch and discovered Mr. Egelhoff shouting obscenities in the back seat while Roberta Pavola and John Christensen lie dead in the front, each with a single gunshot wound to the head. A pistol with two spent cartridges was found in the back seat by Mr. Egelhoff. Mr. Egelhoff's blood alcohol content was also measured to be 0.36%. He was charged with two counts of homicide. At trial, Mr. Egelhoff argued that he was so drunk that he could not have knowingly or purposely committed the murders, which was the definition of deliberate homicide in the state of Montana. In accordance with Montana statute, the judge ordered the jury not to consider his intoxication when evaluating his mental state. The jury eventually found Mr. Egelhoff guilty. The Montana Supreme Court reversed the decision, stating that Knowledge of intoxication was relevant when determining if Mr. Egelhoff acted knowingly or purposely in committing the murders. They ruled that forbidding the jury from considering his intoxication at the time of the act violated Mr. Egelhoff's right to due process. On cert, the U.S. Supreme Court reversed the appeal, agreeing with the trial court's suppression of this evidence. The Supreme Court applied Patterson v. New York, which held that to violate the due process clause, a rule must, quote, offend some principle of justice so rooted in the traditions and conscious of our people as to be ranked fundamental, unquote. Relying on common law history and tradition, the Supreme Court held that the Patterson test had not been met and again agreed with the trial court's findings. Here is a summary of the key points of the ruling. The court recognized that the Due Process Clause places limits on the restriction of evidence, but only when such restriction is fundamentally unfair. The court found that Montana's law served a legitimate state interest in ensuring that defendants are held accountable for their actions, regardless of their mental state at the time of the offense. The court acknowledged that excluding evidence of intoxication could make it more difficult for some defendants to raise a defense of lack of mens rea. However, the court found that the state's interest in ensuring accountability outweighs this concern. Now, how to remember the ruling? For some reason, Egelhoff just sounds like the name of a German cocktail to me. I can't really explain it, but that's just what it sounds like to me, and it helps me remember that Montana v. Egelhoff ruled that Montana's law of restricting consideration of evidence in regards to intoxication at the time of the offense does not violate a defendant's right to due process. Again, Egelhoff sounds like the name of a German cocktail to me, and I remember that Montana v. Egelhoff 
ruled that Montana's law of restricting consideration of evidence in regards to intoxication at the time of the offense does not violate a defendant's right to due process. Okay, just a couple of cases that uh, we went over today. Our first one was Ibn Tomas v. U.S. And uh, just to remind you of the mnemonic, I remember uh, that Muslims face a lot of prejudice in the United States and that Ibn Tomas v. U.S. ruled that testimony on a known disorder should be allowed regardless of its prejudicial potential. And then our other case was Montana v. Egelhoff. And uh, I remember that Egelhoff sounds like uh, the name of a German cocktail. So Montana v. Egelhoff, I remember, ruled that Montana's law of restricting consideration of evidence in regards to intoxication at the time of that offense does not violate a defendant's right to due process. All right, that's a wrap on episode seven on diminished capacity. I hope you enjoyed it. Please leave a review and be sure to subscribe to be notified the next time an episode is released. Cheers. Cheers.